Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Rowie Maudi. For over six years, Rowie has been building his real estate investment company, Valor, which is based in Israel. He helps passive investors invest into U.S. cash-flowing assets, including commercial centers and multifamily residential complexes. So how's it going, Rowie? Everything's amazing. How about you? Doing well. It's great to have uh, an, an investor that is actually based uh, out of the country that puts together investors to invest back into the United States. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So what, awesome. what is your professional background prior to starting your current real estate investing company? So I'm basically coming from the high-tech industry. I was an IT guy specializing in infrastructure and some of uh, information security. I was doing that, you know, ever since I left the army back in 2011 and I did it up until six plus years ago. That was done. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to, didn't want to continue with that field anymore. Yeah. Now you started with, when you started in real estate, you started with marketing deals and uh, bringing, de I guess, bringing deals to other sponsors. And how, how did you, can you explain more on how you did that and how you kind of structured those deals? Yeah. So when I first uh, was exposed to the U.S. real estate industry, I knew that I didn't want to do uh, single family homes. Uh, something about the single family homes doesn't excite me. Um, so I wanted to go to the commercial side, to the bigger deals. The problem was I didn't have experience and I didn't have money or investors. I was like with zero experience in everything. So... The, the one thing I, um, I could do is find buyers, find deals, connect them, and take my, uh, my fee. Um, I didn't realize that by doing that, I will basically establish and build the network that will allow me to grow to where I am today. Um, so basically what I did is I started uh, finding and sourcing um, good you can call them brokers because I used to market deals that started off with a hundred million dollars and up. So you don't get to wholesale deals like that. So, you know, you have like the, the big, big brokers with special, you know, uh, uh, firms that are doing that. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time doing that and I'm, I've spoken to thousands and the majority of them are daisy chains. You know, they're not direct to the seller, but they're going to say a lot of things. And you learn so much just by doing that. Um, and then you start uh, building your buyer's list and people that are really, really big. And you start developing relationships. One of them, which I burned totally as a newbie uh, by, you know, um, being so afraid to lose the deal. So I kind of not told the truth. Uh, just, I was afraid of losing him. Uh, big mistake. Learned a lot from it. Uh, so, but I just brought the buyer, brought the deal, put them together, and took my uh, my fee. Um, but basically, that was a lot of work, 
uh, with a very small percentage of success. Uh, and at that point, you say, okay, all that work and, you know, so little results and the majority of the thing is not up to you. So you bring a good deal and if this guy doesn't like it, he doesn't like the seller, he doesn't like the weather, he's out. Yeah, you don't have control. Um, you don't have control over the deal, and then also it's much harder for when you're talking to a broker, like you said, daisy chain. So you're trying to talk to the actual broker, and you're going through number of different property scouts that are, oh yeah, well I got this, then you owe me one percent, then well this guy wants one percent, and you're somehow paying five percent over the price. Exactly. So they sold the property for two hundred and fifty million. By the time you get the real broker, it's three hundred and twenty million just to pay for the other brokers. Um, you're right. But then what, it, what happened was something interesting. Basically, during those searches for good operators or good brokers, um, I found a great guy that told me, hey, let's go do deals on, my, on our own. Let's, not, let's stop marketing. Let's stop you know, being the intermediates. Um, and at the beginning, I pushed him back. I pushed him back. You know, when, you know the sentence when an opportunity knocks? So I slammed the door on it like seven times. Uh, but eventually I said, okay, you know what? Let's listen to what you have to say. And then he exposed to me the, uh, the wonderful thing called non-performing notes, which I wasn't aware of because in Israel, it's not a thing. You can't do it. Um, and I said, you know what? It's interesting. Uh, and I started learning uh, with him the entire uh, um, entire field of non-performing notes for about nine months, uh, going back and forth to the U.S., you know, investing, checking. I put $100,000 of my own in it just, you know, to make sure it's actually going to work. Uh, but then we started off, uh, we bought a portfolio of 16 notes, uh, and we, and, and then, you know, my entrepreneurship really started, you know, doing deals, being active on it, uh, Bro, understanding. Can you, can you explain non-performing notes? That's not something that's normally spoken about or like a mainstream concept for the most part. Yeah. So basically, when you take a loan to the bank, they issue a note. So a note has two statuses, performing and non-performing. Basically, it means performing, the, uh, the borrower is paying the loan every month, non-performing, the borrower as a default, you know, he's not paying and that loan either performing or non-performing can be purchased from the bank. Actually, Fannie and Freddie, that's what they do. They take money, uh, they take loans, they buy loans, packages from banks, uh, and they're buying the notes. So this is on residential and this, you, what were you buying it on? Were you buying residential um, or all multifamily? No, no, just no commercial, uh, plaza retail. Okay. Um, All right. Strip malls, plazas. I never did uh, single family homes. Right. Uh, I don't believe in single family homes, not performing notes. Me especially, I don't say it's not working. It's working. But for me, you know, evacuating someone from his home, not a good karma to me. Um, so um, basically you buy the note, um, you want to buy it at a discount. So we got the notes at a, between 10 to 30% discount back in, in those years. Um, and then what you do is you do some sort of legal phase. You go through a certain legal phase where you take control over the real estate. Now you have other exit strategies that you can do with the note, but we're not going to go deep in that. But 
we took over the property because we wanted the real estate. Um, once you get the property, it's a simple real estate transaction. So you stabilize it, you, you know, you bring in quality uh, uh, tenants, uh, and then you sell it after a year. Uh, so basically the cash flow is not that amazing in retail, basically in Los Angeles and San Diego, we were at about 5%. Um, but the upside is amazing because you buy it at a discount. So basically after all expenses back in those years, uh, after everything, we were 50 cents on the dollar. So that was amazing. Uh, and the returns were amazing. This is like 2013, uh, 2012, 2014. 2014. Yeah. 2012. Okay. Awesome. But then economy grew. Um, banks were not giving us those discounts anymore. So margins were becoming very, very risky. Uh, our last two notes, we were breaking even. We didn't do any profit on. Uh, we were zeroed. Um, and that's when I decided that this is going to be too risky for the reward. Um, and I shifted to a more cash flowing solution. Now I knew again, single family homes is not the product for me. So multifamily was the natural choice. Uh, and I've been in that uh, area in the past two plus years, um, investing in, in multifamily properties. And you went in to purchase a $10 million worth of multifamily properties in your first year. And then yeah. you kind of, you kind of paused. What, what happened there? So, uh, that's a very good lesson to everybody that is hearing us. And just for that, uh, lesson alone, it's worth listening. Um, so basically I started and I had like an ego that cannot feed the room. Um, I wanted to do everything on my own. If I didn't do it on my own, then I'm not worth anything. You know, um, if I'm not doing A to Z, then it's not worth the deal. It's not worth. And even if I have to, uh, if I need to earn a hundred thousand dollars and if you're coming in, you're taking 5,000, then no, 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 no. Um, so I did everything on my own, um, from building the teams to due diligence, to, uh, uh, getting the, uh, loans, sponsors, asset management, everything. Now being on the other side of the world, you know, we have advantages like great food, great weather, but we have big disadvantage that our response time is way, way further than, you know, someone who is local who can actually go to a property and check it out. Um, so I found it very hard to respond in a timely manner uh, before someone else is issuing an LOI and taking over the property. Um, Where were so, you focusing on in this time? Is this all on California or what no, other no, markets? No, 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 no. California was just the, the non-performing notes. Right. So on the multifamily, I'm focusing in the Southeast markets, um, focusing on Virginia, North Carolina. Those are the markets that I'm in. I'm considering a few other markets, but at that time I was investing in Virginia. Um, so, you, you learn a lot about yourself in the process during, um, you know, the investment. So you, you say, okay, you know, the sentence, if you want to, um, if you want to go far, you go together. And if you want to go quick, you go alone. 
So that's kind of the essence. So if you want to really grow and do things and, you know, have fun, you do it together with people. Um, if you want stress, if you want to, uh, you know, you want to earn 100%, but very small chunk of the 100%, uh, small chunk of the market, I mean, then you go alone. Um, and after 12 months of not getting anything and not closing anything, I stopped uh, and I asked myself, am I enjoying this? No. Am I stressed? Yes. So I left my job that I was stressed in to be in a business that I'm stressed in. It doesn't make sense. And then I understood that a change is needed. Um, and we're going to talk it, about spirituality in a second, but it goes, you know, hand in hand right now. And this is the lesson you learn that you want more people. Uh, you want to know what you're strong at and find people that complement your weaknesses. And then the smile is back in my face. Results start to happen, you know, and I'm telling you from a guy with a big ego, I'm having more fun right now knowing that other people are growing with me financially, business-wise, you know, and, you know, understanding that I don't need to do something I hate or I'm weak at, you know, it's so comforting. It's so, you know, it's so peaceful. And that's exactly where I am right now. And I'm like in a pivot point of growing. So if you're based uh, seven, eight time zones away from the United States or from the East Coast and you're buying properties in Virginia, uh, what, what systems, explain your team setup a little bit and then the systems you have in place. Okay, so I'm going to explain the new team because the old team was not making sense. Uh, I did everything on my own, so it wasn't working. You know, you hit one, you hit twice, but it's not going to be systematic. So basically, I, I, um, I divided the entire multifamily uh, uh, business into sectors. And I said, okay, what am I good at and what am I weak at? And what is an advantage for me geographically and what is a disadvantage? So the number one thing that I understood that is a disadvantage uh, is the fact that I cannot source deals and I cannot underwrite deals and visit deals in a timely manner because when, once the broker is sending me a deal, I'm asleep. And by the time I wake up, 300 investors on his list already did the work and replied. So that's number one. Number two is the ability to just jump on a plane or drive a car half an hour, one hour and be at the property and meet with the broker, you know, break bread with them, talk about the deal. So that's the number one thing. Having someone, uh, an owner operator was a very important decision to me um, that can source the deals, underwrite them in a timely manner and actually go and do site inspection for a go, no go decision. Uh, the second thing is uh, property management companies. Uh, I'm not working with one. I'm always saying a business that relies on one, um, one property management, one broker, one everything is a major risk. Um, so I'm working with two, three, four property management companies. I'm working with two, three title companies, two, three insurance companies, 
uh, and I have boots on the ground uh, in every area that I'm working in. So, you know, the guy that, you know, does the small errands, you know, I need to have those documents sent over. I need you to go to the lawyer and, and knock on his door and get the files done. Uh, and by the way, I have two, three lawyers in place. Um, so everything is set up, CPAs, whatever. Um, and I'm in charge of everything. I'm, I'm involved in every aspect from acquisition to sale, but I'm going to give my owner operator, the local one, I'm going to give him priority on underwriting and sourcing. And we're going to do the asset management together because I think two, set of, two sets of eyes is amazing. You don't know how many things I've missed on my properties before I put in another guy to, to take a look. Uh, and basically I'm taking care of all the money raising, all the marketing, um, all the uh, taxes and everything else. Asset management, of course, broker relationship, um, and of course, um, sponsoring the loan, risk capital, all of that. So basically, that's that's the um, that's the system. Those are the teams, um, and I'm working in very small groups uh, so that every person in the team has like a significant role. He feels like he's contributing great value, and it's not like 30 people in a team that everybody's just doing a chunk. No, it's great. It's, it's great to have. So boots on the ground and you're handling the money raising you're, and then you also have a part of every, every keep an eye on every portion, every uh, kind of part of the, the process from acquiring the property to when you're selling the properties, if that's the plan or refinancing the, what type of software are you guys using? What do you use for group software to collaborate? So basically right now we're just checking a few platforms, but I think, uh, what's gonna win, uh, what's the, what's, what we're going to choose, uh, at the end will be uh, HubSpot, which seems to be a great fit for us right now. Um, I've looked at several things, but I think HubSpot for now, up until this point, we use Podio, uh, but it's too complicated, too complex. Um, and we just need basic things at the moment. Um, we use, um, you know, Google sheets, whatever, but it's not good anymore. You want to do a collaboration with, uh, a lot of files, integrations, notes, whatever. So we're gonna, I think we're going to start using HubSpot. We're basically, um, we're making that decision tomorrow. Okay. So, so yeah. I think it's going to be a HubSpot. Yeah, we use HubSpot as our uh, as our CRM. We use Slack a lot for collaborating with all different parts of our business. Podio is a big thing for wholesalers. Every time I speak to a wholesaler, they use Podio. I don't <laughs> yeah, think I've ever think spoken to a wholesaler and they've never used it. So it's, I think there's one guy who sells courses that gets like a fee from Podio because everybody's, all, all the wholesalers are using Podio. Yeah, that's probably true because everybody uses the same <laughs> course too. I forget the guy's name, but yeah, um, yeah no, that's, that's great. It's because it's, uh, it's so important when um, we work with obviously people in other time zones as well and being able to drop something in the slack or into whatever. And in the morning you have that already taken care of and you can run with it. So there's really no downtime in your business, especially for you where you're literally one business day um, behind the rest of your team that's on the ground. So you have to kind of figure out exactly who's taking care of what and you're all on the same page because when this, as you said before, com very competitive 
where we are right now in the market in 2019. So, but um, what, what problems have you experienced with being long distance and how have you kind of worked with them? How have you? Uh, okay. So the number one problem that I mentioned was um, being that far away, your response time is, is ridiculous. Um, number two is a lot of the times you spoke to brokers uh, I spoke to brokers and they heard, okay, this guy's from Israel. Let's send him all the bad deals that we have. And, you know, hopefully he not, will not notice that he will not catch, you know, will not catch it. So I saw that happening so much. Well, that was a problem. Uh, the way I solved it is I used my mentor as um, he's, he's local. So uh, I used him and I, I always introduced him on the call and I showed his experience. I told him, this guy is managing 10,000 units. He owns 6,000 units. He's going to be, you know, following with me on the deal. He knows Virginia pretty well. You know, he's basically either purchased or managed every property in, in my area. Um, and then they would, you know, they would know, okay, there's someone watching him, watching him, so we're not gonna we're not gonna do something. But that's the number one problem. The number two problem that I faced um, was communication, because you're not able to jump on a car, go to the property management's office, or speak to them in a timely manner. You know, you have to find ways of communication that you know we both agree on. Um, so. And, and, and that includes a lot of sacrifices from my side, meaning I had meetings at 2 a.m. if needed, uh, my time, or I had meetings during my family time, sometimes when things were very critical or, you know, before closing. Um, so those are the challenges. Um, I think everything else is pretty much straightforward. Uh, you have other challenges when it comes to, foreign investors money uh, in tax wise. So if you're not a citizen, you have something called withholding tax that the IRS is doing. They're holding like 36% of the profit. Uh, so that's a big chunk. Um, so a lot of the investors are, you know, backing out because they say, Oh, 36%, that's a lot. But once we explain the process and we say, okay, you're going to get it, you know, first quarter of the next year, then they're kind of, you know, but it's another hurdle to pass. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, um, if I can say it in one sentence, establishing relationships is the big challenge when you're working like half across the world. Mm -hmm. Because talking over the phone and saying, hey, you know, my name is Roy, I'm a cool guy, trust me, I'm going to close. Okay, you know, heard that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's great for having someone that's U.S. based. And I think it's it's not only, I mean, just not being local. I think anybody that's new to any market is going to come into some of the same issues that you found when you were contacting people and you said you're from Israel and stuff like this. But when you have the on the, on the ground, boots on the ground person that kind of vouch for you, that knows the market inside and out, they're, not, they're now going to be a, probably a little bit more serious with you. They're not going to waste your time and um, give you deals that might actually pencil out. But um, 
So when you were saying about the 36%, because that's not something I've really spoken about before. So 36% withheld. Now that's done by the syndication, so by your group, and then you have to pay it to the government. And then after, obviously, explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, so basically when you're, I think it's either 36.8 or 38.6%. Um, so basically when you're a, a foreign national, um, the IRS says, hey, I have nothing that I can use to get the money I need if you're going away. So they're not going to go to Israel to get $4,000 from a person, right? So what they're doing is they're saying, okay, Who's the GP on this deal? Who's the GP of the LLC? Um, because we're the ones who sign sponsored the loan as well. So we have liability. So they're saying, you guys, as GPs, you need to get us a check for 38.6% from all the profits and send it to us. Now, what they do is each one of the investors is filing their tax returns. They're getting their K-1s, then they're filing their personal tax returns. And then the IRS is looking and saying, okay, we took 38.6. This guy only needs to pay 10%, so he needs to get back 28.6. And then they're writing him a check, personal check, under his name. It's not getting to mm -hmm. us. So he's getting his check mailed to him, and he can, you know, cash it out anywhere he wants. Right. So that's kind of the process, but that's another hurdle that, you know, US uh, citizens don't have to deal with. Yeah, not directly, not, it doesn't have to be something, and when he says the GP, it means the general partner, the ones that are putting together the deal. Now, the, the portion, um, the question I have in regards to that is, for, are your investors usually having, they're set up with their own US LLC, or they are investing directly in their own personal name? So that varies. If mm -hmm. a guy is doing the first deal, he will basically invest it under his own name. Um, if a guy owns multiple properties or invested in multiple properties, then they will probably uh, open an LLC and mm -hmm. do it from there. There are some people that open, uh, will open an LLC just for one investment because it's very big investment. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing you need to understand is foreign uh, when you are investing in the U.S., you need to issue an ITIN. Uh, so that's an international tax identifier number. Uh, without that, you cannot do anything. You cannot file the reports and everything. So it's a one-time fee. It's, it's like $100 to issue. Um, and then you can invest it under your name or under an LLC. It's not, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, they can use that for, like you said, under their own name or opening up now an LLC and getting an EIN number. But a CPA that's well-versed in this can help them with that. Exactly. Um, now, when we spoke previously, uh, you were saying that the reality of realizing your goals and then the uh, and actually accomplishing on them, what do you think your requirements are for success? I think number one is understanding that what you want isn't that far away. You know, because when you ask people, especially in the multifamily market, and you ask them for their goals, you'll probably hear, I want to, I want to hit 500 million. I want to get to a billion. I want to get to like, I don't know what. But if you sit down and you say, okay, what do I need in order to live amazing life? The best life I want, what do I need? And 
100% of the time, you're going to find out that the number, the real number, is like significantly lower than what you think you want. Now, that alone reduces the stress levels to here, you know, when they were here. And then it's more, it's easier to build a plan because you don't have to own 80 properties, 80 buildings right now. You just need to own five or 10, but you have to do them the right way. And then you're, you're hitting your goal. Um, the number two thing is realizing that getting 10% out of a billion is bigger than doing 100% of a million. So that's kind of in the situation of goal settings. Now, the other thing, and that's the most crucial part, is understanding the spiritual world, which is aligned with business success. And, you know, we don't have time to go into the spiritual world, but understanding that mentality and, you know, what you think and how you act and your beliefs are a direct result of what you get and transforming is the number one goal that everybody needs to put in their goal list. So it's not about, you know, doing the $1 million a year. That's nice. But investing in yourself, in how you look at things, how you uh, approach people, understanding people. Um, when you are relaxed and you have the right mindset, then business comes much more easy for you. You get results faster. You get your goals faster. And it's a process. You know, and everybody here today is like they're wanting the instant, you know. You know, I want to, in one year, I want to be a billionaire. In one year, I want to be Warren Buffett. And nobody respects the process anymore. Everybody's talking slogans. I always say slogans, you know, uh, respect the process, respect the, the, you know, the path, blah, blah, blah. But nobody actually does it because everybody's in a rush to make a quick profit. Yeah. And you, when you do a quick profit, it's exactly that, just a quick profit. It doesn't have any value. And I had one video, um, I had one video that had an amazing sentence that I always reminded myself. Anything of meaning and value shouldn't be easy. Um, and for me, that's, that's the whole purpose of a goal. A goal is just a way to improve yourself. So if you want to earn a million dollars, that means you need to be a very skilled human being you know, in order to reach a million dollars. It's not the million dollars. It's who you become, you know, until you reach that goal. And even if you didn't reach that million dollars, even yourself, you know, I don't know when you started, but look back on when you started and where are you now. You're a completely different person. And for me, that's the essence of spirituality and setting goals. Yeah. So always set goals uh, to make you a better person and a better business person, more skilled. So if I'm talking about the uh, you know, purpose of life or why we're here, it's for two things only. Just do always do the personal development, like the spiral that keeps going up. And the second thing is accumulate experience with the people we love. That's it for me. So I'm working on the spiral while accumulating experiences. And that's for me the goal setting. 
Yeah, that's a very important thing what you said. Um, and it's also, I mean, with today, there's so much buzz around all this multifamily or anything with real estate and the people trying to push it, need to get the deal done by the end of the year, need to close so many units. So those are the people that more experienced operators like us will be picking up those properties in three years. You know what I mean? Um, because we'll just come back on the market like what we were talking about before we started filming. But the other thing too about, I, I mean, I started purchasing multifamily myself in 06. And the thing was that I have a list on my computer and it's everything that I've done wrong in business and then and wrong in real estate. And I have a list of stuff I'll never do or stuff that happened that you can then cross check yourself. Because then you'll get into a situation where wow, that was, I'm not going to do that again. And then you put it in there and you go, well, what was that issue? What was that? And you make a list and that's, that's pretty much like you're saying, all that experience, what you're learning from everything. Um, and maybe you don't make that much money. Hopefully you don't lose anything, but then you can learn from it. And um, it's just something you can avoid. So down the road, uh, 10, 12 plus deals maybe in, you're, you're like, okay, well now I've kind of eliminated a lot of issues that I know have been, you know, have been problems. Um, so that's great. So when you speak to new investors, whether they're passive um, or whether they're active, what type, what books do you usually recommend to them to start with? So basically I, I need to uh, admit something. Um, I was not um, a book guy until I think a few months ago. Um, I was convincing myself that I couldn't read a book all my life. I would, I would tell people I, I stopped reading at the age of six. Um, and doing the spiritual work on myself, I understood that that's just a belief. And when I did it, I started reading a lot of books. So for me, uh, one book that I will definitely recommend that really, really made an impact on me is uh, Miracle Morning by uh, Hal Elrod. Amazing, amazing. If you can just read it and implement it. The key is not reading a book. The key is taking the essence of the book and implementing it, understanding it, and putting it into use in your life. Because you can read 100 books. If you're not doing anything with information, it's not worth anything. But for investors, um, maybe in terms of investments, I would say reach that core dad. Uh, but in terms of, of, of quality of life, uh, definitely uh, Miracle Morning. Yeah. He, that's an amazing book. And that's his story. I, I heard him speak live once. And that story is, um, is, is amazing as well. I mean, what uh, just, uh, you've got to read it. If no one's ever read it, that's something you, you definitely have to read. It's a but, must. Yeah. Rich Dad Poor Dad gets people out of the whole uh, employee mindset. And that's, I think, the whole goal of that book is just opens your eyes. And it's amazing how many people, I never, Rich Dad Poor Dad wasn't the first book I read of Robert Kiyosaki because he has so many, but I ended up, I ended up reading it years later. And I mean, it's, um, if you don't grow up in, I grew up in a very uh, business owner, entrepreneur family. So it You're wasn't lucky. something for, but most people don't. So it's something where when you read it, it's, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And, but, um, so how can people uh, learn more about you and your company? So basically, I'm a big, big uh, uh, enthusiastic uh, teacher. So I love to teach. I love to talk. I love to network with quality people. So 
people can go on my website, which is www.valore.co.il, V-A-L-O-R-E-C-O-I-L. Uh, you can either search me on uh, Facebook um, or you can uh, like my Facebook page, which is Valore Real Estate, V-A-L-O-R-E Real Estate. Um, the majority of the content is in Hebrew, but you can use Google Translate. Uh, you can message me. Uh, and of course, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, feel free to reach out. If you want to talk, if you want advice, if you want to work with uh, foreign nationals, if you're a foreign national and you want to connect, uh, whatever uh, you feel like talking to, feel free. All right. That sounds great. I'll put all those links in the bottom of the notes. And um, so it's easy for people just to pick. And Google Translate does work really well on your webpage. I know that for sure. I used <laughs> it before, call, before doing the interview. We're gonna real we're we're doing right uh, rebranding right now for everything. So the website is gonna be uh, redone all over again. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.